0: It's time now for The Pulpit Hour, featuring some of God's Choice preachers. Stay tuned at the end of today's message for information on how you can obtain a copy of today's sermon. This is Pastor Walton of the Faith Baptist Church in Silver Springs, Florida, And we've been in a series of messages on the big picture, taking a look at Christmas as not just a single event, but one of many things that brings the whole plan of salvation. We looked at the last time in this message, the Creator and His creation. We're now going to go back to the sanctuary of the Faith Baptist Church and deal with the condemnation and its consequences. But I'm here to tell you that sometimes if we don't get the big picture, you'll miss things like this morning. The first thing that God spoke was light, knowing that there would be a need for light. But in chapter number two, he also made man, let us make man in our image. And God breathed into the nostrils of man the breath of life. Then he made Adam as a helpmeet for him and gave them freedom of the whole garden except for one tree. There was only one exception. Uh, many years ago, I said in a teacher's meeting at a Christian school, the kids were always, you know, if you would just relax one rule, that's, that's such a joke. That, that's not true, that's a lie because once you get one rule, then there's another one. I reminded them that there was only one tree they couldn't eat of, and that's the one that the devil pointed out. Why can't you eat of that one? Is there something special about that tree? That's the one he pointed to. If you got down to just one rule, somebody be mad about that one rule. But I'm always glad that people made laws about red lights. I just wish people knew what they meant. Because they loved, especially 314A and 40. I've never seen the likes of people. The minute the light turns green, they turn left right in front of you. And I I always warn people, if if they're in front of me and want to go straight, I'm I'm always talking, they can't hear me, but I'm always talking to you. You better not go when that light turns green. They'll cut right in front of you. They do it all the time. They don't have the right of way, but they're going to do it. But I'm glad there's at least a law there, amen? It all happened because one day in the garden... Something took place. This morning we talked about the Creator and His creation. Tonight we're going to talk about the condemnation and the consequences because of the creature. We look at chapter 3, and the first thing we see is the serpent's attack. Verse 1, now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. The serpent's description, he was subtle. It means he was crafty. Now I want you to remember at this point, this is not the snake as we think of it today. And it doesn't seem any problem that Adam is talking to this animal. In fact, the intelligence of Adam is incredible when you think that he named all of the animals. And you think back and... Uh, We think we're so intelligent now, but honestly, I don't think there was any more intelligence than in the days before the curse. Probably the best that man ever thought. And by the way, have you ever looked at things that were made way back before bulldozers and cranes and all this automated equipment like the pyramids, the sphinx, I mean, those things that you just... I mean, they could flood the Roman Colosseum and then empty it right back out for another deal. I mean, all before the day and age that we live in of all this technology. So, man's brain was pretty uh, incredible back then. But here comes this serpent, and he's crafty, and he's a skeptic. He causes doubt, and he's successful in what he does by the way, he's still successful at deceiving people. We see his description, we see his deception. It says, And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Didn't God say you can do this? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Now here's the problem. That's not exactly what God said. God said you can't eat of it, but we don't read anywhere in Scripture where it says they couldn't touch it. Here's the other problem. She doesn't know exactly what God said because she's getting her information from Adam. Adam knows exactly what God said because Adam walked with God in the garden. There was a communion there with God. And the devil didn't come to Adam because if the devil had come to Adam and said, Adam, did God say? Adam would said, yeah, he said it. I was there. But Eve, he's trying to tell her, he, he's, you know, there's no other husband out there. There's no other wife. There's no other families. There's no one to mess up a marriage. So the devil says, I'll mess up the first marriage. I'll come and say, yeah, you think your husband tells you everything. You think that you got the whole truth out of this thing? Now, he doesn't say that in this passage, but he's putting doubt in her mind. She she is getting this doubt. Did God really say that? And in fact, he said here, verse number three or four, and the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. We see the serpent's denial. You know what he said in that denial? God is a liar. God is a liar. Oh, wow. That's kind of uh, interesting. God is holding you back from knowing good and evil. The word knowing means to perceive, to discern, to experience. He doesn't want you to discern and understand and experience good and evil. God's not good. And it says here, the word is good and evil. The word good is great goodness in the broadest sense you can use it. And evil is a word that denotes all the kinds of evils there are in every shade and color there could be. It's a word that's very broad and encompasses everything imaginable. We see the serpent's denial. You shall not surely die. Notice he didn't say thou shalt not touch it. He didn't say thou shalt not eat it. He went right to the point. There will be no consequences if you do. He didn't deny what God might have said. He denied the result. It'd be like saying, oh, yeah, your parents are Victorian. You don't have to worry about this old age of thinking about being married first. No, you don't have to do that. We're living in the new age and nothing's going to happen. It won't be you that'll end up having to get married. How many times have you heard that? How many times have I heard that? Hey, I didn't think it would happen to me. Well, excuse me, but the laws are pretty strong in the Bible of what happens. I know people don't like the word abstinence. I know they say that's not a program, but it's the only one that works 100% of the time. None of the rest of them work that way. Then we see that he said, you are not Going to be like God. Look at verse 5. For God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. May I remind you about what's going on today? It's called the New Age Movement. By the way, the New Age Movement is an old lie. It's been around for as long as the devil's been around. The New Age Movement says that we're all becoming God. We're we're all going to be gods. We are just hang right in there. We're just going to all become gods. And everything's built on spiritual things. But their idea of spiritual is some kind of la-la land. It's not spiritual in the sense of rooted and grounded doctrinal teachings of Christ. It's all about all kinds of feel-good and all kinds of, of incantations and all these things that people bring in. And by the way... We're loading our games today and we're loading them. We stick them in all the time. Something demonic. Something. I'm telling you, keep your kids and your grandkids, if you can't, away from it. It's not good. You don't want them exposed to demonism in any form at all. The devil is a major deceiver and liar and tricker and he will do everything to seduce you and get you away from serving God. If you're a Christian, get you to do something that will mess you up. And if you're not a Christian, keep you from ever becoming one. Isaiah and Ezekiel give us the reason why. See, the devil wasn't a man with a pitchfork and a long tail and pointed ears. He was an angel, and he was a high-ranking angel. And he got the I syndrome. I will arise. I will be like the Most High God. I, I, I. And God said, no, it isn't going to happen like that. I will cast you out of heaven. And when He did, like all people do when they fall, they don't like to fall alone. He took a third of the angels with Him. And now we find ourselves in a planet that's laced with demonic activity. Here's Adam and Eve. Here's now Eve dealing with the serpent. We see the first five verses, the serpent's attack. Now we see the woman's action. In verse 6, the first part, we see a visible distortion. Look what it says. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food. Saw means to see with the eyes. Pleasant. It was good for food. It was pleasant to the eyes. And a tree to be desired to make one wise. I would like to quote you a verse out of 1 John chapter 2, verse number 16. And it says something like this. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life are of the devil. They're not of us. Look here. She saw that it was good, the lust of the eyes, that it was pleasant, desirous to have coveted for, the lust of the flesh, and one to be desired, craving, delight, greed, to make wise, the pride of life. She broke all three of those in that first sin, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those are the three things that get people. That's why the Bible and the psalmist said, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes, I will be careful what goes into my ears. Well, you know, we, we teach kids songs that adults never practice. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. And the second verse, oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. Hmm. For the Father up above, He is looking down in love. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. She wasn't being careful, was she? She was listening and she was seeing. The devil pointed her to what she was missing. You're missing something. God's not fair. But I've got news for you. Anytime God takes something away or tells you no, you just thank Him right then and there because He's keeping you from a disaster. You mind Him and you, instead of saying, it's not fair, I can't get to do that, you say, thank you, Lord. I don't know what it is I was fixing to get into, but thank you for saying no. I've never heard anybody thank God for saying no. I've heard them scream when they prayed, and God said, yes. I've heard them weep when he said, maybe, wait. But I've never heard anybody jump up and down for joy and say, hallelujah, God said no. I told you years ago, though, about a girl who who did say it one time. She didn't say it right away. She met a guy, and unfortunately, his name was Fred. So, sorry, Pastor Don Howard and she asked God if she could marry Fred and God said no and she wasn't happy. She was mad and she went through a lot of life really angry with God because she wanted to marry Fred but God said no but about thirty years later she ran into Fred and she said thank you Lord for saying no. (laughs) God does know what he's doing doesn't he? We see a visible distortion. Secondly we see a venomous decision. I like that word because the devil is one that becomes the snake and he is full of venom. It says, She took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Then we see a visual discernment. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sowed fig tree, fig leaves together, and made themselves naked aprons. Now, it's funny because right here in the beginning of the first sin, man tempts to fix the problem himself. We'll fix it with a few fig leaves and an apron. God says you can't fix it with your ways. You'll have to fix it my way, but you can't fix it your way. There was a visual Discernment their eyes were open that word open means to understand Reality all of a sudden there was a realization Wrong how many of you remember when you were growing up as a kid and mom and dad would say you're not to do that And you would say oh good as soon as they're not looking I'm gonna do that But then when you go to do it you would turn and you would see mom or dad looking right at you Do you remember how your eyes were open at that point? To the fact that you were in more trouble than you know what to do with. And if you were the kind of person like me, the blood would drain from your face. And your heart would start beating. And the first prayer that I ever prayed in my life was, Lord, she's going to kill me. And my mom would say something like that. Yes, Lord, I am. Could I have some help? That was just kind of the way it went in our house. And the devil has tricked. And now they realize it's not good. There is a visual discernment. Instead of their eyes being open to all the wonders that the devil said, their eyes were opened and they realized they were naked. You know, I'm not trying to be rude or grotesque here. I just want to make a point. It's the first thing that you would notice. Anybody walking anywhere with nothing on, it would get your attention. Why do you think that is? It wasn't that way in the beginning. Why is that? Because there is an inherent in us to cover the shame. The word shame is an unusual word. We don't don't use it much because uh, we don't understand the concept of shame. Here we see that there is a shame. And the Bible always talks about it's a shame in nakedness because They their eyes were open to what was going on around them and what was in their own life. They were seeing what they really weren't supposed to see. Their eyes were open to the things that weren't necessary to see at that time. Now we have a visual that's going on and we have to decide what to do with it. By the way, the Internet has opened up a world of what you're not supposed to see. Part of the movie Fireproof dealt with that. We see a visual discernment. We also then hear a vocal disruption. Can you imagine in the midst of this? I'm naked, get some clothes on. I don't even know what clothes were. And they go and they make this makeshift idea of what they think will cover their nakedness. And as they're doing that, a voice comes echoing through the garden. And it goes like this. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. So what do you do when God comes to talk to you and you've just blown it? Well, you would hope you would run to him, wouldn't you? And say, oh God, I'm I a mess, I'm in trouble. But no, just like we do, they ran and hid themselves. Isn't that amazing? From the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden, they ran and hid in the garden of Eden behind the trees the second they heard the Lord God's voice. You know why? Because they knew what was wrong and they knew it was a shame and they knew He was a holy God and they didn't feel they could meet God on the new grounds they were standing on. They were going to have to have something happen for them to meet God on the grounds they used to meet Him on. Adam used to walk with God in the cool of the day and have conversations. I like the song, And He Walks with me. And He talks with me. And He tells me I am His own. But boy, there are times when I don't want to get anywhere near Him because I messed up. And I know, and I'm ashamed. You see, it's one thing to admit it's a sin. And Some, some people will say, you know what? Yeah, I, I messed up. It's a sin. But until it becomes a shame, it could be a sin and it just doesn't mean anything to you. I live in sin, no big deal. It's not that big a deal. But boy, when you know it's a big deal and when you know it's gone against your heavenly father, there's a shame. And I think we've lost that today in our desensitizing of our young people especially. The Bible says in Jeremiah that will come a time when they will no longer blush. People say things and they laugh and I'm sitting there turning beet red saying, why are you saying that in front of me? There are things that used to never be said in a public high school in mixed company that today is said in Christian schools in mixed company. Is that shocking? You can't watch television without it being something in there unless you get the kind of shows that are old, that, you know, retro TV, something that goes way back. He said here, they heard, they understood who the voice was, the voice of God. How sad when He speaks and we're unable to respond. Then we find a vacating duo. They hid themselves. Now we go to the Lord's approach. In verse nine, we see a call. Thank God for a call. And the Lord God called unto Adam, And said unto him, where art thou? God is one of the master discipliners, Brother Steve. He did not go with his all-knowing. He did not grab him by the throat and say, what is it you've done? He started out with some probing questions. Adam, where are you? God knew where Adam was. This was no surprise. Where are you, Adam. He is going to make Adam say where he's at and what's going on. My mom used to do that. What did you do like you don't know? But see, I'm a kid. I can't say like you don't know, mom. You see, I like my teeth in my mouth. So I would tell her what I did wrong. And she would say, what did I tell you would happen if you did that? And I'd have to go through all this. And it's just building. And I I want to scream, just beat me up and get it over with. I can't take all these questions. God likes to probe with his finger of questions. And it says, Adam, where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Well, you know what I think is interesting? He didn't even know what naked was. How did he know the word? But he tells God, I've got a problem here. And God still doesn't say, what? Get some clothes on, boy. What's wrong with you? You know, he says this. Who told thee? That thou wast naked. Now he didn't give him any chance to answer. He asked him another question: "Hast thou eaten of the tree? Where have I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat?" Hmm. Did you do what I told you not to do? Hmm. Well, in a split second of time, the first husband came up with the first major defense. That woman, Lord, that you made me. (laughs) I didn't ask for her. You said I needed her. (laughs) Look what it says. Oh, that's so great. And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me and I did eat. It's always somebody else's fault. It's never my fault. It's got to be your fault. I mean, certainly, I'm not the guy that put in the bulletin two weeks in a row that the Christmas program is tonight. That is your fault because you people are just not right. (laughs) Even though you weren't at my house, you weren't sitting at my computer, and you weren't the one that typed it, it's your fault. I'm just a victim of circumstances. It's got to be when my dad dropped me on my head. We still do that. Kids do that. Adults do that. The difference between a kid and an adult is how many times they've done it. Because it's never our fault. Teachers, don't you love being a teacher? You remember those days, Pam? Pam. Stop talking, so-and-so. I wasn't talking. I was looking right at you. Spit the gum out. I'm not chewing gum. It's amazing. Nobody's ever doing anything wrong. The classroom is not right. Nobody's ever doing anything wrong. Isn't that amazing? Then he comes on and he says to them, here's another thought-provoking question for you. And the Lord said... To the woman, what is this that thou hast done? That's not the question he asked Adam. He asked Adam, did you eat of the tree that I commanded thee, thou shouldest not eat? But to the woman it was, what is this thou hast done? Recognizing that she's the one that began the process. She's the one that was beguiled and tricked by the devil who was disguised as the serpent. And the woman gives her excuse. So God, after he summons them, sentences them. First, he deals with the serpent. And he says, and the Lord God said to the serpent, because thou hast done this, Thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field and upon thy belly shalt thou go and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life and I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now, I'm going to deal in depth with this next Sunday morning. This is the first promise of the Savior right here. And I'm going to deal with this verse and I'm going to show you how from that verse all the way to Bethlehem. From that verse beyond Bethlehem to Calvary is all fulfilled in this one verse. That's the reason why Jesus Christ was born into this world. But for right now, I'm going to just deal with the sentence. The serpent is going to get a deadly blow, a head wound. Someday it's coming. And he said unto the woman... I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Now, the first thing I want you to notice about the serpent is the beautiful creature no longer is beautiful. He slithers around. And because of that, there is a hostility between the serpent, which means that there is a fear today of snakes. At least there should be. (laughs) <laughs> the woman is going to have sorrow. It's funny, the word sorrow literally means labor pains. That's the literal meaning. Pangs is actually the word that's used. And it says that she will, in sorrow, in labor pangs, have conception. In other words, babies don't come easily. Although there are some, like my daughter-in-law, who doesn't even know she's expecting until she's six months. Then we see the man. Oh, I forgot about this. And thy desire shall be to thy husband. The word desire means longing or the stretching out to your husband. Now, I, I have to say that this is a strange word. And so I decided to see what other people said about it. And there's a little bit of a difference of opinion here as to whether that's a good word. She would desire her husband or if the word literally means the desire to usurp the husband. Well, kind of the way I see things today, it probably meant she would always want to usurp his authority, but didn't. Because the Bible says after that, that she would, she would uh, will be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. The word means have dominion or leadership over you. Now, man, don't go off half cock, because that doesn't mean that you can be mean, that you crack a whip, and all that. It just simply means that you're the head of the household. There's more verses that that describe that. And there's no room in this Bible for men to abuse women. Period. There is the qualification number one, two, and three. We find out that there have been rules put in place From way back here there was this great creator and creation and God put light and Adam had the light and Adam gave the light to his wife but the devil came with darkness and Eve believed the darkness and because Adam took with her the entire world was plunged into darkness into sin and all of a sudden there was a knowledge that they never had before. Now the world's in trouble. We need a salvation out of this. What are we going to do? Well, the man's sentence. And he said unto Adam, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree, of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow thou shalt eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns and also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee. Thou shalt eat the herb of the field, and the sweat of thy face. Shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground? For out of it was thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Now watch this because when we get to the man, I find something interesting here. Before Eve and Adam took, there were words we'd never heard before in the Bible. But all of a sudden, since the fall, we got new words. Naked, that's a new word. And look at this one. Cursed is the ground. In sorrow, you'll bear children. In sorrow, you'll eat of the ground. Thorns, a new word. Thistles, a new word. And we see that in the sweat of thy face, evidently before then, Adam could go through the garden and all the work he did in the garden wasn't work. There was no sweat. I have worked out here. I have cut tons of grass in the first few years that I was here. And I don't remember one time getting finished that I wasn't pouring out sweat. And be real honest, I'm pouring it out right now. I don't remember a day in my life that I preached that I didn't start sweating. I'm sweating because of Adam, because of sin. It's a word that was never used before. And then it says here, you're in trouble. You tried to fix it yourself. Now I'm going to fix it for you. Look at verse 21 God's salvation. We've seen God's summons, God's sentence, now God's salvation unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothed them to cover their nakedness and to cover their shame. Now, there's something interesting about this. He shed the blood of an animal to make the coats of skin. Because it's the shedding of blood. Now, did you notice in this verse it covered them? That's the Old Testament concept. The blood of bulls and goats covers sin, it never takes it away. It's all pictured and all throughout the Old Testament. We will see these feasts and things and eventually we're going to find the high priest on the Passover. We're going to find that when they celebrate Passover, the high priest goes in once a year and not without blood. And Brother Steve, before he can even deal with the people, he's got to deal with himself. Because he's a sinner too. And he goes in and he deals with himself and the blood sacrifice and deals with the people and all the sins of Israel were pushed forward, covered, atoned for one year. And they kept getting pushed. They were never completely dealt with. They just kept being pushed forward and pushed forward and pushed forward till one day there came the Lamb of God. That was the Son of God who stepped out of the glory world through the womb of the Virgin Mary who grew up from a infant unto a boy unto a man walked onto the scene and John the Baptist said behold the lamb not a lamb the lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world and with that blood sacrifice, there was no need for any more, for this man once and for all is seated at the right hand of God the Father because his blood is the last blood that's ever gonna be needed. There's no need. We're not, we don't have a pit, no place, nowhere to sacrifice no animals here. And that, all this sacrificing of animals is a lot of demonic stuff. It has nothing to do with salvation because my account's paid in full. Isn't that enough to make you just say, Hallelujah? He made them. Here, God is showing them about the blood. And what they needed to cover themselves. To cover their shame and nakedness and take care of it. Your way doesn't work. Your way was a bloodless way. Cain and Abel understood. And yet Cain brought the wrong sacrifice. Abel brought the right sacrifice. God said you will be blessed for bringing the blood sacrifice. And Cain I'm rejecting yours. You didn't do it right. And all the religions of the world all the denominations of the world can do what they want, but it's only through the blood and nothing else will replace the blood of Christ. Therefore, we see the consequences and the condemnation of the creature and the creation is under a curse because Romans says it groans under the curse if you don't believe me walk outside down there barefoot I promise you there are stickers cactus pine cones pine needles and when it gets really really dry the grass will cut you yeah it's a wonderful place when it gets dry It's beautiful to look at when it's green. But there are things in the grass that you don't see. My wife one time barefooted stepped on the grass and underneath her foot was a bee. And it got her. I said, hmm, yet I still walk out barefoot. We have ant piles everywhere. They live on this property like they own the place. I told them my wife's a pest control person. I'll sick her on you. But they're still there. Before we leave tonight, could I remind you how this whole mess started? The devil. And over in the New Testament, 1 Peter 5 8 and 9, the Bible says, Be sober, be vigilant. For your adversary, that's the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. That's what he's trying to do. The next verse says, Whom resists steadfast in the faith. Now, I don't know much about lions. I don't live where lions are. But I've been told by those that know lions pretty well that a lion just doesn't go around roaring for no reason. That if a lion is going around and he's roaring all over the place like the devil is, there's one thing that's happened. He's wounded. A wounded lion will roar because he knows he's wounded and he knows he doesn't have the power he used to have, so he roars to try to put the fear into the people that he still is a tough contender. And the devil was wounded at Calvary. And he's going about as a roaring lion because he's wounded. And he knows every time somebody gets saved, he gets another blow. And he knows that there's coming that day when he is going to get that final blow and God is going to put him in the lake of fire forever. So you need to be sober, self-controlled, vigilant, awake, alert, watching. Because he is going about. That is in the present tense indicative mood. That means he's doing it right now and as certain as certain can be. Right now he is going about. And when he says be sober and be vigilant, it's imperative. It's a command. He's not suggesting it. He is telling you as God, you wake up and look. Because the devil wants to stop you from serving him and saved and stop you from getting saved if you're not. And he is going about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That word literally means swallow up. Isn't it funny that a snake literally devours its prey? Do you know how they catch snakes in the jungles? I don't know how they do it here, but maybe they do it the same way. They, they set up a, a kind of stakes in the ground and make a circle out of it, and they put a big old pig or something in the middle of that thing, and that snake will go in there and dev- that, take that whole pig hole You'll see the pig sticking out of that snake and he can't get out because his belly swelled until he can digest that thing. That's amazing to me that they can eat that thing whole and the devil as a roaring lion wants to devour you whole. And that's what he tried with Eve and succeeded so he thought that God stepped on the scene with Redemption. And I wonder tonight if it wouldn't be good to go out to your car singing, Oh, how he loves you and me. And Jesus to Calvary did go. You see, the message of Christmas is Christ. The message of the creation is the light. The message of the condemnation is the need to get restored back to the light out of darkness. And the only way to it is the blood. See, it's a picture. And as we come back next week, we're going to continue to see more of the picture until we get to the fruition of the coming of the Savior. Through the manger, to the cross, into that tomb, out of that tomb, down to the lower parts of the earth to take captivity captive, up to heaven, where he's seated on the right hand of God the Father, waiting for a trumpet so he can come back and get us all who believed and trusted by faith in the blood. And when that trumpet sounds, old Slewfoot, the prince of the power of the air, Is going to have a bad day because he's going to meet him in the middle of the air. You ready to go? I am. I am. Wow. What a horrible day when the devil comes your way. Until you learn to resist him steadfast in the faith. And as James said, you submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God. He will draw nigh to you. And then you just keep living in victory. Victory. Father, these are... Kind of strange Christmas messages, but they're exactly right on because Christmas is just one part of the total picture of salvation. It was your willingness to leave the glory world and to humble yourself by coming through the womb of the Virgin Mary as you humbled yourself to the cross because you came as the Lamb that taketh away the sin of the world. But you're coming next time as the lion. Not a wounded one either. The lion of the tribe of Judah. The tribe which you came from on this earth. Lord, you will set up your kingdom. And we will rule and reign with you a thousand years and live and serve you and worship you forever. And that is such a blessing. Thank you for what you have done. Thank you for what you are doing, and thank you, Lord, though we are boxed in time, we know what you are going to do, even tomorrow. May we leave here with rejoicing spirits because we're saved, and I pray if someone's here tonight that does not know you as Savior, they would not leave this place So they have talked to someone here, myself, Pastor Steve. Or one of our church family members that could take a Bible and share with them Jesus Christ. Pray, Lord, you dismiss us with your blessing. Keep us safe as we travel about and bring us back Wednesday night. In Jesus' name. Brethren, we have meant to worship and adore the Lord our God. That concludes our Pulpit Hour message for today. If you would like to order a copy of today's message, you can call our studios at 828-884-9427 or write to us at WGCR, 3232 Hendersonville Highway, Pisgah Forest, North Carolina, 28768. You can also hear today's message on our website at wgcr.net. The Pulpit Hour is brought to you by Anchor Broadcasting.